Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Notice this scripture. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So on this beautiful Father's Day, I just want to remind you of some truths that you may have allowed to slip through your fingers, and I want some truths to be more firmly established in your mind. And this is the main point. God is our Father. He gave birth to our spirits through the gospel. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The Holy Spirit actually gave birth to your spirit, your inward man, when you received Christ. Now, some folks may ask, but isn't God everyone's father? No. For the Bible says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave, he gave to them the right to become children of God. You see, only those who have received Christ Jesus by faith have the right to be called God's children. Can I get an amen? Now, some translations of Ephesians 3.15 say this. You know, I bow my knees before the Father. It says, of the whole family. Or another translation says, the entire family. God's a father because he has a family. And his family is comprised of all believers everywhere. The Living Bible, which is a paraphrase, but I like the way this is written, says, I fall down on my knees and pray to the Father of all the great family of God. The great family of God. Some of them are already in heaven and some down here on the earth. So you have family members here and you have family members there. We're all part of the same family. And we who are in this world are just as much a part of the family as the saints in glory. Amen? And you will not become a child of God, and God will not become your father after you die. For the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, writing to believers, it says, Beloved, we are now God's children. So we could say, Beloved, now God is your Father. Somebody say, Now. Amen. Hallelujah. So when the disciples wanted to know how to pray, Jesus answered them and said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. These words are so familiar to us, they, they have lost their impact. Many folks have heard these words since childhood, if they grew up in church. But to those first century Jews, these two words, 
our Father must have rattled them to the core. You have to understand, in John chapter 5, verse 18, we read that the Jewish rulers were ready to kill Jesus because he called God his Father. Are you listening to me? So for the religious people in the world, even today, he's God. But for those who are in Christ, he is our Father. You know, you can tell how well somebody, how well you know somebody by how you speak of them. I even hear some Christians when they pray, especially in public, O oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They think it's spiritual because they sound like they're living in the Old Testament. But actually, that's not being spiritual. That's just being religious. Listen to me. I was fascinated to hear the story of a woman named Bilqui Sheikh. I believe that's how it's pronounced. Bilqui Sheikh was a Muslim woman from a prominent family in Pakistan. And after the death of her parents and the demise of her marriage, she was disillusioned with life and began searching for meaning and answers for her existence. Being a Muslim, she began to read the Quran. And she noticed how often the Quran refers to Jesus. And that piqued her curiosity. And so she wanted to know more about him. Her driver, who was a Christian, gave her a Bible. And as she read it, she had a stirring in her heart. She had a sense of peace as she read the Bible. She began to search out more help. She met a couple of missionaries in Pakistan who also helped her and taught her more of God's Word. But then something very unusual happened in her life. She began to have a series of dreams and visions from, the, from, from God that were pointing her in the direction of Christ. And she, she was moving in that direction to give herself fully to Christ. But she was still uncertain because of all of the, the culture, society pressure, heritage, that type of thing. And at one point, she put the Bible and the Quran side by side on the table and said, God, which of these is your word? And she heard a voice speak to her that said, in which of them do you know me as father? She pointed to the Bible. Bill Quisheik spent the rest of her life as a Christian evangelist, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ until the day she died. But before she left this world, she wrote her life story in a book, which was entitled, I Dared to Call Him Father. Hallelujah, our Father. Amen. So it's interesting Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he could have said, I bow down before the Creator of all things, before the Lord God Almighty, the Omnipotent, the All-Knowing, He who is a consuming fire. And, and He is all those things. But it's interesting, Paul 
chose to address God the way God wanted to be addressed, simply as our Father. Sometimes people who don't know me very well will approach me and say things like, uh, Hello, Reverend Routon. Hello, Reverend Routon. That was a nice talk you gave this morning. You know, I know, I, know that, I know that they don't know me because that's not how I want to be referred to. When my daughter was very young, are you still here? Some of you look very sad. Can you please brighten up? I don't know. Look at the person next to you and put a smile on his face. If he's not smiling, slap him for me, would you? There you go. That's better. When my daughter was very young, you know, I think she was just three, four, five, whatever, she came up to me one day and she said to me, Hello, Mr. Routon. So I turned to her and said, good afternoon, little girl. And she looked puzzled when I said that because I was trying to tell her it's not appropriate for a child to refer to her father that way. Likewise, you need to realize it's not appropriate for a child of God to refer to his heavenly father in a cold, informal, a formal and stiff way. He wants you to call him who he is, our Father. Amen. I said amen. So the picture of prayer that the Bible gives us, that the New Testament gives us, the picture of prayer is not of some insignificant peon, some worm groveling in the dust before his maker. No prayer at least for the believer, is a child speaking with his father. That takes all the harshness out of prayer. That takes all of the unnecessary formality. I realize sometimes there's, there's occasion for formality, but there's an intimacy that comes when God is your father. Amen. Knowing God as your father answers so many questions for you. Is it God's will to heal us? What earthly father wants his children to be sick? I know fathers who don't even know God, don't even pretend to know God or profess to know God, and yet they're willing to spend large sums of money, even a small fortune, to see that their child gets medical treatment. Some of them will even, if they can afford it, take their child halfway across the country, maybe to different countries, and they don't even, they don't even know God. What is it God's will for us to succeed in life? Well, what earthly father wants his children to fail? I've never had a father come to me and say, uh, Brother John, please pray for my son, he has exams, pray that he'll fail. And that's never happened. They always, they always want him to succeed. Again, no father has ever said to me, Brother John, my daughter has a job interview. Pray that she won't be hired. You know, I'm not jealous of my children. If my son gets a new car, I don't say, Okay, watch it, Buster. You're getting a little high and mighty right now. 
I, I want my children to succeed. In life. I want them to be, to be well provided for and to do well in all areas of life. I told my children when they were little, little tiny tots in the car we were driving, and I told them, now, when you guys grow up, I want all of you to be millionaires and then support my ministry. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, 11, how much more? Oh, just think about those two words. Actually, three words. How much more? Someone say, how much more? Come on, if you, don't, if you stop smiling, I'm going to have to come down there, okay? How much more? Look at your neighbor and say, how much more? How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? There is no earthly father who ever wanted, do, wanted to do more for his children than God desires to do for us. I want to say that again. There is no earthly father who wanted to do more for his children than God desires to do for us. Are you listening to me? We don't have to spend hours in prayer trying to convince God to help us or to bless us. He's already convinced. Are you listening to me? He wants to give us more than we are even willing to receive. David said at the Lord's table, my cup runs over. Think about that. Think about that for a moment. If I'm at your table having dinner and you fill my cup, that's great. But if the cup overflows like onto the table, onto the floor, well, I can't drink what's on the floor. So why would you do that? Just to show that I'm generous, that it will never stop. That's why you do it. Sometimes, listen to me, sometimes God will bless you extravagantly just so he can show the devil, look, I know how to take care of my kids. Woo. Woo. You know, in the, in the verse in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it's not on the screen, but, you know, it talks about the importance of giving to God, specifically tithing. And he says, test me. Go ahead, prove me. Give me a chance. What he's really saying is, give me a chance to really bless you back, and I'll throw open the windows of heaven. I like that. And I'll pour out such a blessing, you don't have room enough to store it. Come on, God is a big God. He can do big things. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, be of, be beyond all that we could ask or think. In fact, one of the things God wants to do is to enlarge your thinking, expand your imagination, enlarge your heart so that you can dream of more things, so that you can believe God for more things. Not just material things, but everything that God has for you. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. He's a good father. And I don't appreciate some Christians who go around 
complaining all the time, moaning and groaning about how hard it is to serve the Lord and, and always, you know, talking about, you know, how, how, how difficult and unfair life is. What you're really saying is God's not a good God. You're accusing your father of child abuse. I don't appreciate that. I think I speak for heaven when I say we don't appreciate that. He is a good God. Yes, life is unfair, but God is just. He is the great equalizer. He can tip the scales in your favor if you'll just trust Him, if you'll just obey Him, if you'll just stand on His promises, He can do it for you. And this room was full of people who could testify at this moment that it's true. That against all odds, when it seemed you didn't have a chance, he stepped in, swept away the opposition, and said, fear not, for I'm with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As long as I have breath in my being, I'll boldly declare, my God is a good God. He's a loving Father. And I want the world to know it. Amen. Amen. Now, does that mean that God will give us everything we want, anything we, 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 we desire, even with carnal, sinful desires? No, no, no. Because He's a good Father, we need to know this. Jesus said He will give good things, not bad things. Amen. So we know that not all that glitters is gold. There are, t there are times when we think that what is good uh, is not good for us. Amen. But my point is, he's a generous God, and there's nothing he wouldn't do for you. Nobody loves you like your father. Man, if you believe that, if that would just seep into your inner being, your consciousness... All that insecurity would be gone. All of that doubt would, would evaporate. Nobody loves me like my father. Amen. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul said this, I know whom I have believed. Many Christians know what they believe in, but very few know who or whom they believe in. Are you listening to me? Your faith will never rise above your concept of who God is. Who is God to you? In your mind, what is the portrait on the canvas of your soul of who God is? A lot of people even in the church world, have a caricature of who God is or a distorted image of who God is, which is based maybe on the world's ideas or maybe human logic or maybe it's based on their warped perception of reality. If you see God as your enemy who's out to crush you, who wants to do you harm and ruin your life, you will never trust a word he says. See, that's why, that's why some people in the church world, that's how they think. They don't want to get too close to God. Why? Oh, you know, they'll even say, no, careful, don't get too close. Don't get within arm's length of God. He might just smack you. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. 
But if you know him as the loving father that he is, then you will rely on him with an unconscious faith. You're not trying to believe. It just comes naturally. As a boy, if my family went out to eat in a restaurant, I wasn't concerned that I would have enough money to pay the bill. I never thought about it. I didn't look at the menu and go, wow, this is, this is adding up, you know. I, we better be careful. We better economize. I never thought about that because I knew my dad would cover it, see. Uh, when we went on a family vacation somewhere, a little trip or something, I didn't bring one red cent with me. I didn't have one pie in my pocket because I didn't need it. Who needs money when you have Big Daddy Warbucks with you? Right? When I needed clothes for school or something like that, or school supplies or whatever, I didn't think, wow, how am I going to come up with the cash to buy all of this? Because I knew he would cover it. Are you listening to me? And I'm sure there were times when my parents were concerned about the finances. I'm sure there were times when, you know, they were, they were looking over a pile of bills, reading bank statements, thinking about how we're going to make ends meet. But I didn't have a care in the world. I don't mean like when I'm 30 or 40. I'm talking about like when I was a little boy, you know. They're inside, you know, scratching their foreheads, you know, looking like Brother Pippin. You know, they're inside... <laughs> you know, getting more gray hairs. They're inside thinking about those things. I'm outside just having a ball, enjoying life. It would be abnormal for a little child to sit down with his parents and say, we need to talk about the state of affairs right now. Our family economy is not in a good shape. Are you sure about these rising interest rates? Little children don't talk that way. What am I saying? Well, naturally... As we grow older, we become more mature, we, we, we're able to be more responsible and become self-sufficient and that sort of thing. But on the other hand, I think God wants you to enjoy life and realize that worrying about tomorrow doesn't change tomorrow. It only ruins today. Why don't you just enjoy life in the sense that be blessed, be happy, be joyful, Maybe some of you stuffy adults with too much starch in your collar need to go outside and kick the ball a little bit. Amen? Are you out there? Because your Father is going to fully supply all of your needs. If you are a child of God, where is your childlike faith? Look at your neighbor and say, my Father will take care of it. Amen. Now, perhaps your earthly father wasn't the best example of what a father should be. Or maybe your father abandoned the family at some point and you didn't know him very well. But I want to tell you this morning that your heavenly father the Bible says in Psalm 68 and verse 5, He is a father to the fatherless, and He will never leave you, and He will never, ever 
forsake you. Psalm 27 verse 10 says this, When my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. It would be better for you to have maybe, honestly, a terrible earthly father, but know God as your heavenly father, than to have what the world considers the perfect father and not know God as your heavenly father. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. You may not have been born into the best family. I mean, maybe you have, but some people, you may not have been born into the best family. But I assure you, you have been born again into the very best family. Oh, I think that deserves more than just a passing praise. I think we ought to really shout about that. Amen. I said, you have been born again into the very best family. Hallelujah. Sometimes those who grew up in a broken home are confused, bewildered. Why, why did he leave? Why did this happen? Sometimes later in life they try to find their estranged father to understand him. But I don't have to guess about who my heavenly father is. And I don't have to go out and find him because he already found me. And he is everything the word of God says he is. Psalm 145 and verse 8 says this, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let's say it this way. Your Father in heaven is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Our Father is gracious. He's gracious. That means He's kind. That means He's generous. One definition of graciousness is inclined to show favors. Inclined to show favors. Willing, more than willing, to give. So many years ago, as I was studying this verse of Scripture, the Lord is gracious, in my heart I was suddenly reminded of my grandmother, my mom's mom. I know this is Father's Day, but this is what God gave me, okay? My, my, my grandmother, my mom's mom. And she, she came to my heart as someone who was very gracious. She was, she was uh, relatively poor compared to many people. She lived in a small, ordinary flat, uh, lived on a pension, a fixed income. I mentioned about this in a previous week. But she, was, she lived to give, especially to us. In fact, you could not visit her and come away empty-handed. No way. She would, she would be offended if that were to happen. So as a little boy, I didn't like visiting her apartment. It was smelly. The furniture was old. You know, there was nothing, nothing a little kid found exciting about it. But she did have ice cream. There was a redeeming factor here. She had ice cream and cookies, biscuits. 
you know, so that counts for something. And, and so she would very often, she knows, she'd say, how about some ice cream? Sure. She'd give me a giant bowl of ice cream. But when you left, she would give you the rest of the container, that, all the ice cream that's in the box, in the refrigerator, she would, she would give that to you as well. Not only would she give you some biscuits, she would give you the whole package of biscuits. Not only would she give you like a, 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 a drink of you know, Coca-Cola or something like that, she'd give you the entire two-liter bottle to take with you. You know, I would come home sometimes, basically I emptied out her pantry. My mother would scold me. And if you said, no, 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 it's okay, I don't need that, she would get a little bit upset with you. She wanted to give. In fact, you had to be careful not to admire something she had because she'd give it to you. So you don't want to walk over and say, I like your TV. She'd say, all right, you can have it. No, no, I don't. I'm just saying I like your... And she'd want you to... She would give you the shirt off her back. And the Lord brought that to my mind, see, when I, many years later. That's graciousness. That's like your heavenly father. You cannot spend time with him and walk away empty-handed. He's going to put something in you. He wants to give you something. He wants to give you more than you want to receive. You need to understand, he is gracious. Hallelujah. And like my grandmother, he longs for your company. When I was a little boy again, sorry if I'm reminiscing too much, but... It's my turn to speak. When it's your turn, you can say what you want to say, okay? But, but, um, but when I was a little boy, my mother dragged us to visit our grandmother. Oh, and as I said, I didn't want to be there, just so restless. Let's get out of here. I want to do something else. I didn't know because I was too young to know that those few moments were all my grandmother lived for. She didn't have anything else to live for. Your father lives for you. You think God in heaven is like he's busy with all his hobbies? You know, he's collecting coins and he's, 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 ride, he's, he's riding his motorbike all over heaven and uh, he's really into cricket and he's watching, you know, getting ready for a World Cup. No, no, no. You are the apple of his eye. Christ ever lives for you to make intercession for you. He longs for your companionship. He didn't save you just to rescue you from hell. That may be why you got saved. He did so so that you could walk with him. You could know him as father. Hallelujah. Amen. The, the Bible says, we just read it, that our father is merciful. Somebody say merciful. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, that the Lord is rich in mercy. I like that. He doesn't just have some mercy or once in a while show some mercy. He's rich in mercy. Now, Bernard Arnault is, I think, currently the richest man in the world with an estimated worth of 215 billion, billion with a B, billion dollars. Elon Musk was the richest man until he bought Twitter and... He lost $44 billion right off the top, but uh, for a good cause, I think. But anyways, that's another topic. So if Bernard Arnault, he owns like a Louis Vuitton and a lot of other high-brand, uh, high-dollar brands. If, if uh, Bernard Arnault spent a million dollars every day, a million dollars every day, 
it would take 575 years for him to go broke. That's assuming he never made another dollar. So he's not going to run out of money anytime soon, I suppose. Your heavenly father is rich in mercy. He's the richest person in the world in mercy. So even if he forgives you a hundred times in one day, he's not going to run out of mercy anytime soon. He's got a whole lot of mercy. Come on, I said, I said that's good news. He's never going to run out of mercy. Sometimes we failed and we fall in repeatedly and we think, God won't forgive me this time. I've done it too many times. Listen, he told you and I not to forgive each other seven times, but 70 times seven. If we are supposed to forgive each other again and again and again, are you going to sit there and tell me that after two or three times, he cuts you off and says, that's it, too late. You won't be forgiven this time. Nonsense. That's a lie from hell. My father is rich in mercy. That's not a license to sin. That's not making light of sin. That's not dismissing sin as no big deal. I'm not dismissing sin. I'm magnifying God's mercy today. We're here today not because we've been goody-goody people all our lives, because we haven't. And I'll be the first to acknowledge it. We're here because our God is merciful. And if he was merciful to you as a sinner... Why would he be less merciful to you as a saint? Amen? And our Father is slow to anger. He doesn't have a short fuse. He doesn't quickly fly off the handle. Some people should have a sign posted on their forehead, danger. Handle with care. Some people... I don't think they're here this morning. Oh, they are. Anyway, some people, you have to be super careful what you say when you're with them. If you kind of use the wrong word, kaboom. It's like being with them is like walking through a minefield. You step and then you hear click, click, and you know your leg is coming off. (laughs) If you look at them funny, boom. So that's not godly, is it? I said, that's not, because God is not like that. He's not quick to get angry. He's slow to anger. Amen? I've said this before, but some people say, well, I get angry quickly and, you know, explode in anger, but then it's over. As if to say, that's okay. Yeah, bombs are like that too, you know? (laughs) They explode, it's quickly over. And we spend the rest of the month picking up the body parts. That's not good. That's not good. Hallelujah. Y'all looking at me, I'm starting to get angry the way you look at me right now. That's why I'm up here by myself. (laughs) Amen. So one Samaritan village did not receive Jesus. The Bible tells us that. They, they They wouldn't accept him. They wouldn't even let him stay in their village. Don't come here. And so James and John said, Lord, see, they just graduated from Spirit of Faith Bible School. So they said, Lord, shall we call fire down from heaven? (laughs) Like Elijah, or like Elisha, just call fire down, (laughs) toast them. But Jesus, the Bible says it's in Luke chapter 9, verse 55, Jesus turned and rebuked them. The New King James Version says, you don't know what spirit you are of. 
For I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You can tell as much about God by what the Bible doesn't say as by what it does say. Jesus didn't turn and say to James and John, let's roast them. Barbecue time, boys. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that Jesus called these two guys sons of thunder? See, the crops don't grow because of thunder. It's because of rain. Some people make a lot of loud noise, but there's no fruit. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, he's not talking about you. Relax. He's slow to anger. Then our Father is overflowing with steadfast love. Steadfast love, covenant love, loving kindness. The Hebrew word is hasid. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. This is a powerful verse. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Before we can believe in His promises, we must believe in His love. If the devil can cause you to doubt God's love for you, He can shut down your faith. And that's what He does. Many people, even I'm talking about born-again Christians, they can't believe that God would love them very much. They, can't, they, 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 just, they just can't accept it. In their mind, in their mind, they think of all the things I've done and all the times I've failed. There's no way in the world God could love me. But God's love is unconditional. It's not performance-based. Maybe some of us had earthly fathers who tried to egg us on by saying, if you do this, mommy and daddy will love you. If you get good marks in school, then we'll love you. If you get a good job, then we'll love you. If you marry the person we want you to marry, then we'll love you. If you give us grandchildren, then we'll love you. If you do whatever we want you to do, then we'll love you. And then, of course, the opposite would be, well, I didn't get good marks, so maybe they don't love me now. Or I didn't get the good job that they wanted me to have, so maybe they don't love me now. God's love is not because you are good. It's because He is good. And it's not based on anything you have done or anything you could do for Him. It's based on what Jesus has already done for you. You need to believe in God's love. Can I get an amen? The Bible says He proved His love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When he was on the cross, the people around him weren't saying, Yay, we really appreciate this. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for all the help. His disciples weren't standing there saying, We believe in you. No, the people cursed him. The disciples ran away. And yet, he moved forward because it wasn't personal ambition that motivated him. It was love from the Father. In fact, this verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, goes on to say God is love. Love is not something that God has. It's who He is. 
and he will never stop being who he is. Time and circumstances do not affect God. He's love, and he always will be. You know, sometimes in the world, in these days, we hear people say, well, you know, love is love. And what they really mean is, I can be perverted sexually. I can be immoral. Love is love. No, love is not love. God is love. Amen. Hallelujah. So your father is love. And that's the real love. That's the highest kind of love. That's true love. And you and I are in the family of love. We're born of the spirit of love. Are you out there today? Amen. A man may be your employer for a time or your mentor for a season, but a father is always a father. Now and forever, God will always be your father, and you will never outgrow that relationship. The Apostle Paul at the apex of his earthly ministry and who has such revelation and God has worked such miracles in his life, still says, I bow my knees before my father. He's still your father. Are you out there today? I'm almost done. You say, but I thought this was Father's Day. I'm getting there. The Greek word for father you know, I have to give you a Greek word at least once. I mean, I just would, I couldn't go home if I didn't do that. The Greek word for father is pater. P-A-T-E-R, we would spell it pater. And the word for family in Greek is very similar, patria. The two words are very similar, pater, patria. Because that word means, the word for family means that which comes from a father. That which comes from a father. And what it implies is the family has the same qualities, the same character, the same status in many cases, the same position, the same authority as their father. That's what Paul means when he says we have derived our name from him, all that he is, all that Christ is is in you by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. In fact, in the Amplified Bible, it says this, Ephesians 3.15, God the first and the ultimate Father. That's actually very important. The first and ultimate Father. God is not pretending to be like a father so that it's easier for you to relate to him. He's not saying, I know you don't understand me, you don't get me, but let me put this in words that maybe you can understand. Think of me kind of like a father. No. The whole concept of fatherhood began with him because he is a father. Hallelujah. And he is the perfect Father. He is the perfect Father. Your Father, your earthly Father, may have had many shortcomings and imperfections, but the perfect Father will teach you and guide you 
and prepare you and help you to be a good father just like he is. He will instruct you. He will enable you. He will give you grace to be a good father to your children just like he's a good father to his family. You and I are not doomed to repeat the errors and the mistakes of our forefathers. See, most people, when they get married, they just assume that the way I was raised is the way I should raise my children. And they assume that whatever I experience, many times, they assume that, they assume that whatever I experience is normal. And that's the way it should be, perhaps. So sometimes they say, well, my father slapped my mother, pop, pop, pop. So that's what I'm going to do to my wife. Or my father was abusive to me, so that's the way I'm going to be to my children. And sometimes, they, sometimes just the opposite. They think, I'm never going to do that, but they end up doing it. And the sins of the fathers are handed down to the sons. But you see, you have been regenerated. You have God's life and God's nature inside of you. Hallelujah. And Jesus reversed the curse for you. Hallelujah. Amen. So you can pattern your fatherhood after your heavenly father. You don't have to be, and you won't be, an absentee father when you remember that your heavenly father is always with you. And you don't have to be, and you won't be a stingy father when you realize that your heavenly father is generous to all and abounding in goodness. You don't have to be, and you won't be, a mean-spirited father when you recall that your heavenly father is kind and tender-hearted. You won't be, and you don't have to be, an unfaithful father when you see that your loving heavenly father is a covenant-keeping God. You don't have to be, and you won't be, a selfish father when you are reminded that your heavenly father gave that which was most precious to him his only son, for you. You don't have to be, and you won't be an angry father when you understand that he is full of mercy and compassionate. You don't have to be, and you won't be a detached and disinterested father when you are aware that your heavenly father cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. He's the best father. We gave just a token gift to the fathers that are here today just, just to express our appreciation. It's, should I tell you now, you, you probably haven't opened it, it it's uh, handkerchiefs. That's so you can, uh, you know, my bad sermon, you can dry your tears, you know. <laughs> or maybe cover your face. I don't know. But actually, it just wouldn't be right for us on this day not to honor our Heavenly Father. 
In my mind, every day is his day, and he should be honored. And when he's central in my thinking and my heart, he helps me to be a, a better father. And I know he'll do the same for you. Even if your children have grown, he can still mend the broken fences. He can still repair the breach. And you know something else? If you were not a good father, I bet you'll be a great grandfather. You get a second chance. Hallelujah. I want you to stay with me to your feet right now.